Hello and welcome to Counterthought, a podcast dedicated to my counterthoughts about mainstream media, politics, and culture, and the impact on our nation. I am your host, Brian Fletter. You can follow this podcast on its Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast, on Instagram at counter underscore thought, and on Twitter at counter underscore podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Counterthought. Thanks for joining me. And as the country is getting fully open state by state, more and more each day, I am ready. I hope you're ready also to get back into regular life. Regular life, something that hasn't been around since February, definitely early March of 2020. It's crazy how whenever COVID first started, it was two weeks to slow the spread, two weeks to slow the spread. And we knew as a country, or at least I hope you knew or expected that we would adapt. I mean, we're human beings. We're the most intelligent mammals here on, the, on this earth. And we adapted. Two weeks became a month, became two months, so on and so forth. And here we are. And now I look back and it's hard to imagine that it's all, almost been a year and a half. Maybe that's because, thankfully, my life, my family's life hasn't been greatly impacted by COVID. I know there are over 600,000 deaths in the United States and millions worldwide that cannot say those same things. So um, I feel for those individuals who lost a loved one, whether that's a family member or a friend. But I do advocate that we get back to normal as quickly as possible. Which is why for this episode, we're going to talk about whether or not there should be a vaccine requirement for people to return back to work in office. So my question for you is whether or not employers should require employees to be fully vaccinated before returning to in-office work. That means going to an actual physical office location should your employer require you to show proof of fully vaccinated from COVID. Fully vaccinated, in case you're unaware, because there are three different types of vaccines going around the United States. There's the um, Pfizer-BioNTech, which is two shots. There is Moderna, which is two shots. And then there's Johnson & Johnson, which is just a single shot. So fully vaccinated means that you have two weeks have passed since you received either the single shot of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine or since you have received the second shot of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. And I decided to pose this question on Facebook um, to my friends and to the public, but pretty sure only my friends saw it. I asked the question, should employers require employees to be fully vaccinated before returning to in-office work? Here's what they said. Out of 115 views, um, only 22 voted. But of those 22 votes, the results were 7 yes and 15 no. So 7 people believe that employers should require employees to be fully vaccinated before returning to in-office work. And 15 say no, an employer should not require employees to be fully vaccinated before returning to in-office work. But why now? Why why a big push to get back to work? I mean, this has been going on for 15 full months, coming up on 16. So why not the push at the start of the year? Well, that's when the vaccine was first getting rolled out, really in December. 
um, and into early January. So we didn't quite have the numbers. And now as more and more data has come in and we see that, you know, maybe certain lockdowns were ill-advised, you know, in hindsight, that we should be opening up. The data along with the science is showing us that we can safely open and we don't have to hide in our homes or hide behind a mask all the time. Get your vaccine and go about your life. But also, also I think the big push is because statistics are showing that people with unemployment and the stimulus checks are making more money staying at home and not working than if they were to get their job back. Which on the surface sounds like, well, why would anyone go back to work? Or the argument would be, see, these people get paid far too little if we're at, if we as the government can pay them more than what they were making, which that could be a different topic for a different episode, not for this one. But there are 9.5 million jobs available, but there are not enough people looking for work to fill those jobs. Through these stimulus checks, we've just flooded so much money into the market, trillions and trillions of dollars, that inflation has started. Gas prices going back to this time last year, I saw on the news today, gas prices were $2.10 on average. Now, $3.10 on average nationwide. Dollar increase. Inflation is also up for other products that I saw recently. Um, Milk, up. Bacon, I mean, talk, talk about crossing the line. And when bacon's up, bacon's up about 75 cents per pound. Um, and we all know that bacon makes everything better. But inflation has begun. People need to get back to work. It's time to open up our country. And if someone is making more money through unemployment and stimulus checks than they were with their original, with their job that when the pandemic began, people still take pride in having a job and not, not just relying on the government for a check. Let's get people back to work. Now, when it comes to employers, obviously they have more than just one person to consider. So what I believe, what you believe, we aren't the only people that an employer has to account for. They have to account for everyone, all of their employees. So their decision's a little more complicated, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, where did this concept of proof of vaccination come from? Where did it originate? You'll be surprised that proof of vaccination goes all the way back to the early 1900s with smallpox. The early 1900s, I couldn't believe that. Um, I guess I'm naive about the level of record keeping that went on back then, but it goes all the way back to smallpox. And again, these employers are trying to answer the question, how can we get the company back to full strength while also protecting our employees? And then how can the employers figure out a way to guarantee that their employees are vaccinated so that they can create that safe in-office work environment? So they turn to a vaccination passport or vaccination card, which first began back in the 1900s with smallpox. And at that time, in cities and states with the worst outbreaks of smallpox, Vaccination was compulsory, and official certificates of vaccination were required for people to go to work, attend public school, ride trains, or even go into the theater. So then what did people do that didn't want to be vaccinated but still have access to everything as to those who did get the vaccine? People faked the passport card. So then authorities couldn't just rely on the passport card if there are fraudulent ones circulating out there. So authorities were then actually physically 
checking people's bodies, I believe it was on the back of the arm, for a nickel-sized scar that would be left behind from the vaccine. They get the shot, um, and then the scab would form, and then when the scab formed and then fell off, once it fell off, then it was considered that the, that the vaccine was you know, fully into, into the body and you were left with this scar. So authorities back then with smallpox were checking individuals for this uh, scar from the, from the vaccine. And now present day. So fast forward, talking about vaccination passports or vaccination cards. In December of last year of 2020, the Department of Defense announced that they were going to supply COVID-19 vaccination kits. And these vaccination kits would include a vaccination card, which would be used to show your name, the brand of vaccine that you received, and the dates, or date, if you got Johnson & Johnson, the singular date. But that is similar to the smallpox vaccine, a card. So how do we prove that the cards that were given are true and not fraudulent? Well, people started to laminate the cards, you know, to protect the dates on there to say, hey, look, I'm fully vaccinated. I got my one date for Johnson & Johnson or my two dates for Pfizer or Moderna and laminated. Here we go. See, final, like treating it like an ID. Well, it wasn't recommended to get laminated because as time goes on, if there is some variant or we learn, you know, just more in general about the vaccine and the COVID-19 virus, there may need to be a booster shot. Well, once you laminate the card, you can't put the booster information on there because the booster information would be written on the laminate and on the card. So that was a problem. And then, because there's these people in the world, these vaccine cards have been found to be reproduced and sold illegally online for people trying to make a quick buck, just like with smallpox. Unbelievable. Now, early on, or a few months back, there was discussions about a digital vaccine passport. You know, carry like an app or something on your phone, carry it around on your tablet. Anytime someone needs to know if you're vaccinated, you just pull it up in the app and and show them, I guess, working somewhat similar to like the digital form of your uh, car insurance card that you can pull up on your phone instead of having to keep the little piece of paper in your wallet or in your purse or in your glove box, you know, wherever, center console, wherever you would keep it. But I remember hearing then with the digital vaccination passport that, you know, it could decrease, I guess, potentially the ease of which making something fraudulent um, because it's digital and there's ways to authenticate and so on and so forth. But that it also then jumped into the realms of requiring personal health information, PHI and PII, to be shared, which gets you into the weeds with uh, HIPAA disclosures, ADA, American with Disabilities Act disclosures, and other uh, regulatory requirements whenever you get into personal health information. So I believe right now we are on hold with the digital passports and somewhat on hold for mandates, a federal mandate of the uh, passport cards. And just for fun, currently, yellow fever is the only disease specified in the International Health Regulations, which is part of the World Health Organization, for which a country may require proof of vaccination as a condition of entry. But why do we even need proof of the vaccination? 
I thought we were trying to reach herd immunity. That was a term I heard a lot going back into uh, last year, the first year or six months to a year. When can we reach herd immunity? If we reach herd immunity, then we can get back to normal. And there were other countries in the world that took the herd immunity approach. I believe Sweden was one of them, believed in herd immunity, which if you're not aware, herd immunity means that enough people have been infected with the COVID-19 virus and survived. Therefore, they have antibodies and they can go about their life and not even need a vaccine. And at the time, Dr. Fauci, the uh, leader of the COVID-19 response, he first said that herd immunity was going to be, would mean 70 to 75% of Americans. And he said, he admitted later that he said that when, I guess, a survey was conducted, that 50% of the population said they would get vaccinated when one is developed. And he admitted that when newer surveys came about that revealed that up to 60% or more of Americans would take the COVID-19 vaccine, then Fauci changed from 70 to 75% up to 80 to 85%. So he moved the goalposts. To reach herd immunity, the goal switched from 70%, 75%, up to 80 85%. You know, just continue to chase, continue to reach after that dollar bill on the fishing line and you never be able to reach it. But yeah, herd immunity was the original goal. And now it's not talked about anymore. Uh, over 3.3 million cases in America for COVID-19. And as of this past week, we are up to 147 million Americans being fully vaccinated. Now, just some, uh, just a quick look into the numbers that Fauci, he was saying um, herd immunity, 70 to 75%. That was his initial, initial number. Um, there are approximately 200 million adults in the United States. So 70% of the 200 million would be 140 million adults. And as of this week, 44% of the U.S. population is fully vaccinated. Well, the U.S. population is 335 million people, you know, including children. So 44% of 335 million people is 147 million. And if 70% of 200 million was 140 million, and we're at 147 million, then we've reached that herd immunity across the adults. And when Fauci said 70%, there was, there was no COVID vaccine for children, so we had to be basing that number off of adults. So based on his original number, 70 to 75%, we're there. We're there. But going back to my original question and the question for the topic of this episode, should employers require vaccination of their employees for their employees to return to in-office work? Can vaccination even be legally required for work in the U.S.? Or is it considered some form of discrimination? Or the opposite, whereas if you don't require it, are companies then going to be held liable for not having a safe work environment? A lot to look at, a lot to look at and a lot to consider. So currently, what are some of the things that an employer can legally require? Well, they can require you have to pass a background check, you know, looking at criminal history and other things. They can require that you have to pass a drug test. And also you have to provide specific government IDs, birth certificates, driver's license, a few other documents in order to prove who you are and be able to fill out the appropriate forms for taxes and all of the other forms that you have to fill out whenever you, whenever you take a job. But it's recommended by the 
Society for Human Resource Management, or SHRM, for employers to be careful not to dig too deep into any inquiry about vaccination status. SHRM um, recommends that employers avoid making medical inquiries that could cause them to get into trouble with the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act. But if an employer can simply ask for proof of a COVID-19 vaccination, such as the card, then that is permissible under the ADA because it's not likely to prompt the employee to provide any disability-related information. And the U.S. EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, has already stated that, quote, there are many reasons that may explain why an employee has not been vaccinated, which may or may not be disability-related. It could be something based on religion. Uh, it could be something health-related. It could be they person just wants their own personal liberty and doesn't want to be told what they have to have in their body and what they don't. The EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, also states that you can ask a yes or no vaccination status question, but don't ask why. Again, don't ask the follow-up, just as uh, the Human Resources Organization stated, because that follow-up question could result in the employee revealing disability-related information, which would jump into ADA. And the ADA requirement is that questions only be job-related and consistent with business necessity. So if my job, my role at the company is not affected or does not require any type of COVID-19 vaccination, the employer does not need to know about it or can't require it. Now, if an employer does require vaccination, the employer must make sure they have considered reasonable accommodations for those with a legitimate disability for not being vaccinated and reasons that are based on sincere religious beliefs. Just mentioned that a second ago. You have to consider that. It can't just be blanket across the board. You have to account for those who have religious reasons, uh, disability reasons, and make accommodations for those people. Such as, okay, you have a religious or, dis- or medical reason why you can't have the vaccine. Well, your job actually can continue to be work from home. But as employers are, not all employers, a good number of employers are advocating for required proof of vaccination. Who is challenging the requirement? Well, aside from the individuals who don't want to get vaccinated or can't get vaccinated, it's the states. As of the time of this episode, more than 40 states, 4-0, have introduced state legislation prohibiting vaccine requirements for employment, venue entry, such as a concert, a sporting event of some kind, and etc. Now, the state's argument ranges from government overreach, such as plain old Government should not be able to tell people what to put in their bodies. That's a violation of our personal liberties. To the fact that the drug is considered by the FDA as experimental. The three vaccines have been given their EUA emergency use authorization. And that there was really maybe only six months of testing on these vaccines. So how can we really project into the future? And how far into the future can we project and stay and say, uh, as a matter of fact, that X side effects will not occur. So the vaccine could actually be unsafe. We just don't know it yet. And that's the reason someone doesn't want to get vaccinated. Now, I live in Florida, so here's some Florida information. Recently, Governor DeSantis signed a bill that says your personal choice regarding vaccinations will be protected 
and no business or government entity will be able to deny you services based on your vaccine decision. The Florida law is also supposed to ensure that neither the state nor local governments can close businesses or keep students out of in-person instruction at Florida schools, except for hurricane emergencies. And the law allows the governor to invalidate a local emergency order if it unnecessarily restricts individual rights or liberties. Finally, this Florida law is supposed to codify the prohibition of COVID-19 vaccine passports and blocks any business or government entity from requiring proof of COVID-19 vaccination. Now, as I mentioned before, um, this is a very litigious society. Everyone, you can sue for anything and everyone will sue for anything. So we'll see where it ends up. Um, definitely lawsuits going to be coming for, for this bill. But meanwhile, businesses in support of required vaccination say that in order for them to meet their responsibilities of a safe workplace, the easiest way to do that is for their employees to be fully vaccinated. And again, I think this is mainly just because these businesses are trying to meet the various regulations that they are required to meet, because if they don't and something happens on their watch, then it's going to be a lawsuit, and who knows where that will end up. You know there's lawyers just waiting waiting for something to happen to swoop in and create that class action lawsuit. So are the businesses actually following the science by saying that they want their employees to be fully vaccinated? Well, the Pfizer vaccine says that it is up to 95% effective at, percent, at preventing symptomatic disease. The Pfizer vaccine also has found to be more than 95% effective against severe disease or death from variants that were detected in the United Kingdom and South Africa. The Moderna vaccine is 94% effective at preventing symptomatic infection. And the Moderna vaccine efficacy against the United Kingdom and South Africa variants are still being studied. Now, the third vaccine, Johnson & Johnson, that one has 72% overall efficacy and 86% efficacy against severe disease in the United States. The Johnson & Johnson vaccine also offers protection against the UK variant, and there was 64% overall efficacy and 82% efficacy against the severe disease in South Africa. Now, I mentioned at the start of this episode, I took a poll of my friends on Facebook to see whether or not they believe employers should or should not require full vaccination for their employees to return to in-office work. And then I had a follow-up question to that survey that asked, okay, if you said yes, employers should, then why? And I had some good conversations with a couple of friends of mine. I'm just going to recap them here. You know, no names, no specific details of where they work or anything like that, but just going to talk about, you know, what we talked about. So I was talking to a friend of mine who works in big corporate, really involved in everything that takes place regarding the physical facilities with this corporation. So very knowledgeable about the subject. And we had a good discussion. Um, this friend of mine brought to light different aspects or different requirements of the CDC that must be followed, of OSHA, which is the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, where you get into the safe workplace environment and the different uh, thresholds that need to be need to be met. Okay, I acknowledge. Yes, there's all these different regulations that need to be need to be met to CYA yourself as a company. That's the correct legal decision. But at some point, what is going to be enough? You know, we as individuals, 
Every day when we wake up, before we walk out the door, before we walk out the door, we accept a certain level of risk, right? And there's no way risk can be zero. If you have to drive to work or drive to the grocery store or drive to daycare or wherever to school, you are accepting a certain level of risk of getting into a fatal car accident. Or if it's raining and you are in the rainstorm, there's a certain level of risk of you getting struck by lightning. If you are walking alongside scaffolding in the big city of New York, there is a certain level of risk of something falling off the scaffolding and hitting you in the head. Now, these might seem like extreme situations or very minimal, but it's still risk. And the point of these examples is to say that there's no way to get risk to zero. One of the examples I gave to my friend here was that, okay, let's say the company requires the COVID-19 vaccination. And let's say that following the CDC guidelines, CDC says that if you cannot accommodate an individual who is not vaccinated within the workplace, which means provide social distance and only filling up the room to 50%, then you know you are at risk as a company as not providing like the proper work environment. But then my response was, okay, so say everyone, say it was allowed that to have every everyone required to have full vaccination to return to work. Now, I just read off to you the statistics of the efficacy and the the quality of, of these vaccines. And if you notice, none of them said 100%, right? Nothing will ever say that. So there's always a slight chance that you, for this case, COVID-19 vaccine, that you can get fully vaccinated and still get COVID. But with the vaccine, it, the symptoms and everything will be minimized. But let's say for the sake of argument that everyone in in this company, everyone in this office building was fully vaccinated. There is still that percent chance that you could get infected. So say someone's fully vaccinated, comes into work, they don't know that they're infected yet, and they get someone else infected. And then it pops up, someone at work has COVID-19, then you have to do the contact, contact tracing, figure out who else they had contact with, then get them tested, so on and so forth. But then you think, well, my employer required everyone to get fully vaccinated. I thought the point of getting fully vaccinated, everyone within this office, was to have no chance of anyone getting infected. Right? Isn't, isn't that the goal? Wouldn't that be the reason to have everyone fully vaccinated? But again, that chance is there. The only way you could say for certain that, yes, getting everyone fully vaccinated means that we will not have any outbreaks at work. You would have to make sure every employee at that office location track everything they do, basically. You would have to track everything each employee does. You'd have to know where they go when they get home from work, who they have, who they uh, interact with, who they have contact with, where those people were that they have contact with were and who they had contact with earlier in the day. Contact tracing every day of your life, if you're trying to make sure that no one has any contact with someone and no way of catching the COVID-19 virus, even though they've been fully vaccinated. It's either that or people just stay at home and don't leave their house because, again, there is always risk. So I asked my friend the question, at what point is it, okay, we accept the fact 
that the COVID-19 vaccine is there. You get fully vaccinated. Here's the, st- the statistics of the efficacy and the likelihood that someone could get reinfected and then retransmit or, you know, to other individuals. What is it going to take to get to that point and say, okay, we're just going to rely on the vaccine and we're not going to rely on all these other accommodations because we don't require special accommodations for the flu vaccine. You know, we don't ask for proof of the flu vaccine at work. We don't do that. And the flu kills approximately 50,000 people a year, which I know is a far cry from 600,000, but it's still significant. Or are we now going, starting this next flu season, going to have to make special accommodations or require require proof of the um, flu vaccine? I don't think so. But that was my argument. I was kept pushing back, kept pushing back. We have to get to a point where we are okay with a certain level of risk, and that becomes the standard. And if you are not okay with that level of risk that comes from just being fully vaccinated, and your risk aversion is a little bit higher, then that is on you because that's not the norm. That is on you. If you feel like you need to walk around fully vaccinated and wear a mask, that's on you. That's fine. You can do that. But not everyone should be required to do that. Now, I touched on it a little bit, but I believe one of the main drivers behind this requirement by employers requiring full vaccination before returning to in-office work is because COVID remains the number one topic in the news. There are trackers everywhere counting the number of cases, new cases daily, and the number of hospitalizations and the number of deaths. And I believe that there is also a line of lawyers ready to pounce on the first large employer to make a mistake to get that first class action lawsuit. So I think the employers know deep down eventually where they'll have to get to, But right now, because COVID is front and center, still remains front and center, and then they have the the possibility of lawsuits coming down their way, that they have to be extra careful. Now, as people get more and more vaccinated, again, I said it's like 44% of of Americans, 147,000 people have been vaccinated, that as more and more people get vaccinated and that percentage increases and more and more of the country gets back to regular pre-COVID life, COVID will take a back seat in the news cycle. And then the CDC will relax certain recommendations for these employers. And as that happens, and as no significant outbreaks result from the country being back open 100%, COVID-19 will continue to go back in line, back in line, back in line farther and farther away from the daily news that we've been subjected to for COVID for the last uh, 14, 15 months. And I believe once that happens, you know, the fire cools down, burns out, it's just some embers. That's when you'll see a relaxation of all of these regulations and recommendations. And these companies will say, okay, now we're at a point to where we don't need to require anything extra. You either get the vaccine or you don't. If you get the vaccine, there's a certain level of risk that you can still get infected with COVID, but it is minimal because of the vaccine. And now we have other therapeutics that we can take on or that we can apply if you do have to be hospitalized or to even prevent hospitalization. And if you decide not to get vaccinated, then you are accepting the level of risk that comes with that. 
Otherwise, when will it stop? So I finish by saying this. I believe it is time for everyone to determine what level of risk they are willing to accept. And then it is time for you to act accordingly. Risk will never be zero. It's time for you to make a decision and to live your life. All right, that's it for this episode. Remember to subscribe and engage with me on Instagram at counter underscore thought, on Twitter at counter underscore podcast, and on the Counterthought Podcast page on Facebook. Thank you for listening to Counterthought.